Good morning, everyone. It's a pleasure to be back with you, and we're going to do a little share today. It's not going to be so little, actually. It's going to be uh, a very comprehensive share, a look at a fascinating subject, really something which I've always wanted to delve into in greater depth, and today I've um, I've come up with the material. We're all going to share it. We're going to learn something new, and it's really quite beautiful. Before I get to that, let me remind you that if you're watching this on YouTube, that you can subscribe to my YouTube channel, and you can do so by clicking on the bottom right-hand corner with your mouse, and all you need to do is subscribe, and then regularly, whenever we send videos out and the long-suffering Carly manages to produce one of my videos and you'll get it and it will come into your inbox by email and you'll know that there's something to watch so please do that. The other thing I wanted to mention was and uh, you know a few times in the past people have asked me how to do it. Uh, you can sponsor one of my shiurim. All you need to do is to contact Carly. I'm going to give you her email address. It's C-A-R-L-Y at Y-I-N-B-H dot O-R-G and just let her know if it's a yard site, if it's a birthday, if it's a, a particular event or if you just want to sponsor the shiur, all you need to do is let her know and uh, she will make the necessary arrangements and we can make sure that the learning is done in the merit or in the honour of whoever it is that is designated by the sponsorship. Let's move on to the Parsha, Parshat Lech Lecha. It's a fascinating Parsha. It's the Parsha in which we are introduced to the foundation figure of the Jewish nation. No less. Do you know who I'm talking about? Avraham Avinu. Abraham, our patriarch, the forefather, the founder of the Jewish nation. Not in national terms. That only happened when we came out of Egypt. But in terms of the family's foundational figure, the original person who was a believer in God, a man of faith, who created the possibility, the platform for a Jewish nation, was none other than Avraham Avinu. Some years ago, and you can find it on my website, I gave a shiur, Avraham Avinu, or Abraham, the man who needs no introduction, because he's not really introduced to us. We have no idea why it is that he was chosen. All we know is that God said to him, Lech lecha mi'artecha mi'latecha mi'betavicha, I'm going to read you the psukim now. In fact, we're not going to focus on those first few psukim, but I want to use them as a way of introducing the theme of today's shiur, which was I was going to call a preemptive vaccination, but I've decided to change the name because I thought it was uh, too much um, of a distraction. But I will explain to you why I wanted to call it that during the course of the shiur. The point is that Avraham Avinu is somebody who we're not told anything about. All we know is that God spoke to him. Let me read you the Psukim. Let me just go through the Psukim at the beginning of Parshat Lech Lecha. And this is in chapter 12 in Perik Yudbet of Bereshit. We're starting with Pasuk Aleph. Ayom HaShem El Avram. God said to Avraham. At that stage he was still called um Avram, he didn't have the extra hay that came later. Go forth from your land, from your birthplace, from your father's house, to the land that I will show you. We know what that land was, but of course only in retrospect. At that stage, Avraham Abinu didn't know which land uh, he had to visit or had to settle in. We know it was Eretz Kanaan, eventually to be called Eretz Yisrael. But that was going to be much later. At this stage, it was just a country uh, which was quite far away from where Avraham Avinu lived, although they'd already made the transition from Ur-Kastim to Haran. Now he was going to move even further uh, west, and he was going to go El Haaretz Asher Ar-Eka to Eretz Canaan. The Escha Legoi Gadol says God to Avraham, with no particular reason given, I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you. I will make your name great. And it will be for a blessing. An extremely important verse because it continues with the third pasuk of Perek Yudbet. The third pasuk, this is 
by the way, a pasuk, a verse, that the Christian friends of Israel considered to be a pivotal verse, a pivotal source in the Bible as to why it is that Christians need to support the Jewish nation and particularly in its endeavor to settle in Eretz Israel and to be there and that for all the Gentile nations to be their supporters. You hear that? Those who bless you will be blessed. Those who join you and are alongside you will be recipients of the blessing that I am giving you, says God. Those who curse you will themselves be cursed. Which side of the fence would you like to be on? I'm not asking you who are watching this because clearly you are from the people. You are the people who are blessers, therefore you will be blessed. But those who seek out Jews, who are anti-Semites, who want to persecute the Jews, destroy them and to curse them. They are going to be or they will be cursed. The adama. It is through you that all blessing will be sourced, says God to Abraham Avinu. What did Abraham do? Immediately without any question, he went exactly as God had told him to do. And he was accompanied by his nephew Lot. And Avram was 75 years old when he made this transition from the land of Haran and went on a journey uh, and the destination was as yet unclear. 75 years old, that's old. By the way, even by our standards, that's old. It's not old in terms of necessarily longevity because people live older than 75. To, to, but to make a transition from where you're comfortable and safe to a new place, to go to somewhere else, and for no particular reason other than a voice appeared to you, a voice came to you and told you to do that, that's quite something. That is a demonstration of faith. But that's what Avram Avinu did at the age of 75. And Avram took Sarai, later to be called Sarah, Ishto, his wife, Vet Lot ben Achiv, Lot, his nephew, and everything that they possessed, they were accompanied by all those that they had um, convinced to join the faith, as it were, to believe in one God, to believe in an omnipotent creator. They joined them in this journey. And they went out and in the direction of the land of Canaan. And that's eventually where they arrived. Pasuk Vav, this is the sixth verse in Perik Yudbet of Bereshit, Vayavor Avram Ba'aretz Ad Shechem. He didn't really know where to go. That had not been clear. He'd been given a very general destination. And so he went until he came to Shechem. And then he went Ad Elon Moreb. It didn't settle there. He went to the plain of Moreb. And then Vaknani Az Ba'aretz. And at that stage, we are told now by the Bible, as a sort of a, a, a contextual um, uh, element to the narrative, we are told that the Canaanim were still living in Eretz Canaan. This wasn't an empty country. This was a country with inhabitants. They would call the Canaani, the Canaani, the Canaanites. They were the residents of Eretz Canaan. The Chnani Az Ba'aretz. Vayera Hashem El Avram. God appeared to Avram. By the way, this is the first time that, we, that he actually has an appearance, that the prophecy isn't just a voice. The beginning it was Vayome Hashem El Avram. Now it is Vayera Hashem El Avram. And God appeared to Avram. Vayomer, and he said, I want to tell you something. It may be, as we've just heard, However, to your descendants will be given this land. And as a result of this encounter with God in which he was told that this uh, wonderful place that he had arrived at would be given to him, Avram built an altar and brought a sacrifice to God. And from there he moved to the mountain east of Beit El. 
bit el miyam vahaimi kedem and he pitched his tent bet el was to the west of the tent and i was to the east of the tent and what did he do vayiven sham mizbeach lashem vayikra b'shem hashem once again in gratitude to god for having given him this beautiful country as his um, right as his birthright as it were not quite sure how to express it that Avram Avinu was going to settle in this country, him and his family were going to live there for all time. As a result of that particular encounter with God in which he was told that Eretz Canaan would be his, once again he built an, an altar and brought a sacrifice to God. Hashem, And he called in the name of God. Now he traveled again. We have to understand that he hadn't uh, found a location where he was going to live. He was now scouting out the land to see where the place, best place would be for him to settle. He traveled continually, traveling southward. So he had come from the north, because if you come from the direction of Mesopotamia via Haran, and you come from the north of Israel, you come first to the north. We know Shechem is in the north. You keep on going south. And he continued to travel in the southward direction. Here is where it stops. Even though the chapter continues, there is a break. So if you look at the Torah, there is an actual break in between Pasuk Tet, the ninth verse of the 12th chapter, and Pasuk Yud, which is the 10th verse of the 12th chapter. There's now a break, and the narrative now continues. It uh, digresses and goes in a slightly different direction. I'm only going to read you one more verse. It's the only relevant verse as far as we're concerned. Uh, I will tell you a little bit of the story that follows from that verse, but the key element is as follows. There was a famine in the land. This was the promised land. He arrives there and things are not going too well in that country. What does he do? So Avram went in the Mitzrayim, in the Egypt direction, as a result of the famine. Lagursham, to spend some time there, the word that is used in, in the biblical English is to sojourn there, which means it's some, some type of temporary residence. His intent was to come back, to return. However, at least for this stage, at this moment, he wanted to go to a place where there would be food. Lagursham ki because the uh, famine was very strong in the land. What happened was, at this stage, they come towards Egypt and he tells Sarah Imenu, Sarah, Sarai at that stage, his wife, he says, listen, Sarai, you are my wife. If people know that you are my wife, you're extremely attractive. And therefore, they will want to take you for themselves and they will want to make you somebody with whom they can have relations with. And the only way to do that is to murder me, to kill me, because if I am your husband, if I am the person who's standing in their way, they will kill me. Therefore, Imri na achoti at, says Avram Avinu, he says to Sarai, his wife, please say that you are my sister. Don't tell them you're, that you are my wife, because if you tell them that you are my wife, then, uh, then you will lose your husband. So he informs her that there is almost certainly going to be adulterous intentions when when they get to Egypt and in order to avoid any problems for him um, which I guess we could interpret to mean problems for them as a couple uh, he was informing her that she would need to lie in order to avoid those problems that is basically the story it continues that Para did kidnap Sarah didn't go well for him he discovered that Sarah was Avram's wife they reconcile and Avram eventually goes back and he goes back to the land of Canaan with great wealth that was given to him by Paro as a result of this grave insult by having taken Avram's wife. I'm now going to turn to Rashi because I want to really focus, and this is what I meant at the beginning when I said that there is an issue here. It's a kind of side issue, but it's an interesting topic that we can examine and look at, and that is that there was a famine in the land. Where had God told him to go? Go to the land that I will show you. What is the implication? 
that where you are now is not quite as good as the place which I'm going to show you, which is even better. You don't tell someone to get up and go, leave everything behind, if the place that they are going to is not quite as nice as the place that they are in right now. So the implication of God's instruction to Avram Avinu at the beginning of the parasha, which is, is that the place which he is being sent to is going to be much nicer than the place that he is in at the moment. He arrives there. What does he discover? There is a famine in the land. Doesn't sound very nice. There was no famine in Choron. There'd never been a famine in Orkastim, or certainly not mentioned in the Torah. And yet, when he arrives at the place that God sent him, there is a famine. So what does Rashi say? Rashi, he's quoting a Pirkei de Rebeleza. He's quoting Chazal. That, Ra'av ba'aretz ba'ota ha'aretz levada. There was a famine, and it was specific to that country. There was no famine in the countries around. There was no famine in Syria. There was no famine in Jordan. There was no famine in Egypt. That we know for sure, because he went to Egypt. There was only a famine... That means there was no rain that year in Eretz Canaan and people there were starving, were really struggling to provide themselves with food. And why did that happen, says Rashi? And this is the, the real, um, the essence of the Chazal. This is what Chazal want to tell us. Lena Soto. It was as a test. They wanted to test him. God wanted to test him. Would he um, uh, be upset at what God had told him to do? That God had told him to go to the land of Canaan. Here I was living in, in Haran. Everything was going swimmingly well. I had plenty to eat. My refrigerator was full. I had everything I needed in order to conduct my life. And you've sent me on a wild goose chase. You've sent me to Eretz Canaan, and now I don't have the things I need. Why? Because Vayhi Ra'abaretz, you've sent me to a place where there's no food. So would he be angry with God? And as a result of that, he would want to leave the land of Canaan. So the implication here of Vayhi Ra'abaretz was that God sent him to a place and rather than the place being as he might have expected it to be, quite uh, uh, rather better than the place that he had come from, it was worse. Would that send him into um, a counterfaith mood in which he would deny the existence of God or deny the omnipotence of God or deny that God had his best interests at heart? And would he return to Haran or would he go with the flow and would he continue to be a person of faith? That's what Rashi says, and that's a direct quote from Chazal, from Pirkei de Rabeliezer. I want to look at the Rambam. I believe that we have done this Rambam be Ramban before. Ramban is Nachmanides. Ramban uh, says something which is quite um, startling about Avram Avinu in this particular instance. And that's really what we're going to focus on today, to try and, I wouldn't say understand the Ramban, but to try and contextualize the Ramban um, uh, with the Chazal that we've just heard. The Chazal seems to be saying that Avram Avinu, in fact they do say it not in the Rashi that we quoted, Chazal say that Avram Avinu, Abraham, our patriarch, our forefather, passed the test with flying colors. Why? He went to Egypt, never got upset, never complained to God, went to Egypt, went through all kinds of hardship in Egypt and came back. And he was living in Canaan as soon as he knew the famine was over. And really, he might quite easily have said, God, why did you drive me crazy? He didn't do that at all. He remained as faithful throughout the story as he had been before and as he would remain for the rest of his life. So that's Rashi's version. Let's see what the Ramban says. I'm going to read you an English translation, which I've put together. And there's a wonderful English translation. I always edit it a little bit. Um, so that it can be a little bit more compatible with our audience. But let me read you the Ramban. If you are magpid, if you're fussy about the Hebrew, no problem. If you look at page two of our source sheet, and the source sheet will be posted on YouTube, on SoundCloud, and on my website, you can actually download it and print it off 
If you want to, you can look through the Hebrew yourself. But let's look through the English. And there was a famine in the land by Yira Abarit. Behold, Hine, what was the situation? Avram went to Egypt. Why? Because he was hungry. He wanted to eat. He needed to eat. And there was a famine. And he went there to live there temporarily. Why? In order to save his life during this days, these days of drought and famine. And the Egyptians exploited him without cause because they wanted to get his wife. And God avenged them. How did he do so? He gave them afflictions. He made them sick and brought him out, Avram out, with cattle, with silver and gold. And Pharaoh commanded men to send him. They accompanied him out of Egypt. So that's the basic elements of the story. And says the Ramban, and it is a hint from Avraham. What does that mean? Since his children went down to Egypt because of hunger to live temporarily in the land, Avraham acts as a kind of beginning of the story. The story of the Yerida going down to Egypt of the Jewish nation in its very formative stages as children and family of Yaakov Avinu, they went down to Egypt. That story is a sort of mirror image of what happened with Abraham Avinu much earlier on. His children went down to Egypt because of hunger to live temporarily in the land, says the Ramban. And the Egyptians did evil to them in the same way as Paro did evil to Avram by taking Sarai. They did evil to the Jewish nation. They took their wives, as it says, and every baby girl you shall let live. And God avenged them with great afflictions. And God did the same to Paro and Egypt as he did to uh, uh, Paro at the time of Avram Avinu. The same thing happened. So again, a mirror image as to what happened later on. Um, until later on, they were taken out. They were redeemed from the land of Egypt. They were laden with silver and gold and sheep and cattle with many possessions. And the Egyptians pressed them to be gone from the land. It's almost exactly the same story. Um, it's If you look at it as a as the Avram Avinu story, as a micro story, you look at the story of the exodus from Egypt, the slavery and exodus in Egypt of the Jewish nation as a macro story. And this matter, says the Ramban, is explained in Medrash Rabbah. Pinchas said in the name of Rabbi Oshaya that God said to Abraham, go and set the path for your children, for your descendants. And you find that everything that was written regarding Abraham, everything that we hear in the Torah, about Abraham Avinu, Ramban sets a guiding principles to understand why the narratives of the Torah exist with regard to our patriarchs, it was also written regarding his descendants. In other words, if you are looking for an explanation as to whatever regarding whatever happened to the Jewish nation years later, look only to the story of Abraham Avinu and you will see somewhere there a narrative that gives us a lesson to understand what it is that happened to his descendants much later on. For example, regarding Abraham it is written, there was famine in the land. Similarly, it says, regarding um, the Israelites, it says, there was already two years of famine in the land. So as a result of the famine, what happened? You should know that our father, um, sorry, I will get to that in a minute. As a result of that, we know that they went down to Egypt. So the famine generated the end of the story. As a result of the famine, Avram went to Egypt. As a result of a famine, the children of Yaakov Avinu and eventually Yaakov Avinu himself went down to Egypt. And now let's look at what the Ramban says, which is so startling and so shocking. And in a sense, something that we would never associate with a commentary like the Ramban. So it says as follows, Veda, and you should know, that Abraham Avinu did a grave sin, even if he did it unintentionally. Why? He brought his righteous wife to stumble into transgression. Why? Only because of his fear that he might be killed. And he should have trusted God to have saved him, his wife, and all that was his because God has power to help and to save. In other words... This showed a lack of faith by him going down to Egypt, not as Chazal seemed to have said earlier on that he passed the test with flying colors. 
The Ramban seems to be indicating that Avraham Avinu did not pass the test at all. He should have withstood the difficulties that he was experiencing in Canaan as a result of the famine. Rather, he gave up the ghost, went down to Egypt, and as a result he endangered the life of his dear wife Sarai, Sarah, and uh, potentially would have caused incredible problems only because of a lack of faith. He displayed a lack of faith. Also, the fact that he went out of the land of Canaan, says Ramban, and he'd been commanded at the beginning, Lech lecha el asher go to the land that I will show you. But he didn't. He went there and then he left. Why did he leave? Because of the famine. That was a sin. That was a sin that he committed because God would have saved him from dying even in a famine. And because of this deed, because of this sin, because of this transgression, Abraham Avinu that, that he did, it was decreed that his seed, that his descendants, that those who would follow him and his family would be in exile in Egypt under the hand of Pharaoh. So, in a sense, the Ramban is taking the same narrative, the same story, and saying something completely different. What he is saying is that Avram Avinu, the fact that we can use the story of Avram Avinu's going down to Egypt as a mirror to what happened in Egypt for his descendants is not a positive thing. It's not something that Avram Avinu should be proud of. He wasn't setting them in the right direction. In fact, he was creating the backdrop. He was creating the cause he was creating the platform for all the terrible things that happened to his descendants later on. Somehow, he was the catalyst that enabled the dreadful disaster of the slavery in Egypt, even if it ended in exodus and redemption. So, those are the two opposing views of Rashi and Ramban. And what we're now going to look at is the commentary of the Al-Sheikh. Uh, Al but before we do that, I want to introduce you to a concept that is a little bit uh, of a digression, but nevertheless, it's extremely important to understand if we're going to understand the Al-Sheikh. I'll tell you a little bit more about the Al-Sheikh in a moment. Let's first talk about something that um, is a central, a core belief of the, uh, the Jewish national, Jewish religious narrative, and that is that there have been five exiles in our history. We're in the midst of one, we'll get to it, but there have been five exiles. There's been the great exile and then there's been four subsequent exiles which are mentioned in the prophet Daniel. The first exile, the great exile, is the exile that we're all familiar with. If you look at source 4 in your source sheet all of this is explained. The first exile is the exile in Egypt. In Eretz Mitzrayim we went through Avdus and then we got to Cherus. So at the end of every exile, there is a redemption. And that was what was experienced at the end of the exile in Egypt. That's the great exile that is really the um, fundamental foundation of the Jewish faith. How many times we say in our tefillot and in the mitzvot that we do, Zecher Yitziat Mitzrayim. That was a pivotal moment in our um, in our identity as a nation. The fact that we were slaves and we were redeemed. I'm not going to go through everything that we say on Seder night, but I think that we are familiar with that as being an extremely important part of who we are as Jews. But what are the other four exiles that are mentioned in Daniel? So the prophet Daniel had a vision that subtly hints to the four exiles of the Jewish nation. I'm going to read you the English translation. You can see it in Doniel, it's the first posuk of Perik Zion in Doniel. I saw in my vision by night four great beasts. The first was like a lion, and behold, another beast, a second one, similar to a bear. Afterwards, I beheld, and there was another, similar to a leopard. After that, as I looked on in the night vision, there was a fourth beast, fearsome, dreadful, and very powerful. Say Chazal, interpreting the, this verse, the first verse of Daniel Perik Zayin, they understand this to mean 
that there was a dreadful, um, this was a dreadful prophecy, that there would be four exiles, each of which would be unique in their own way, and they've all been identified by Chazal. The first exile was the exile that we know as the exile of Golus Bovel, the exile of Babylon, which was that Nebuchadnezzar took us out, um, or he destroyed the Beit HaMikdash and then removed the Jewish nation from Eretz Israel. And that was a, a terrible moment in Jewish history. It was the first time we had lost our independence, as it were, since Yitziat Mitzrayim, and that we'd lost the opportunity to act as Jews in a, a central Jewish location. That was Golus Bovel. That was quickly followed by Golus Poras Umodai. And that is the Persian or Midian uh, exile, which took place immediately after the Bovel. So even as the Bovel one receded because the Babylonian empire was collapsing, the Persian empire took over, it was slightly different. There were moments of, of uh, terrible uh, um, fright and that, of course, is reflected in the story of Purim with Mordechai and Esther. And then there were moments of incredible jubilation, as when Cyrus the Great uh, allowed the Jewish nation to return to Eretz Israel and build the Beit HaMikdash. So we know that this was a slightly different type of Galut, which is why it's divided, uh, or it's separated from the Galut of Bavel. That's the second Galut of the four Galuyot, for the four exiles. The third one is a galut that took place during the period of, um, the, of the second Beit HaMikdash. And it's the galut of Greece, of the Yavanim. Why are we familiar with that? Because Hanukkah, we celebrate redemption. We celebrate the fact that we managed to beat back the Greeks and take back the Beit HaMikdash. We'd lost it for some time and we, we managed to reclaim it and reestablish it. And there it was for a couple of hundred years more until the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash in 69 of the Common Era. So that is known as the Galut Yivanim. They were in control of the Holy Land and there was terrible assimilation. There, was, uh, um, there were Jews who were becoming Hellenized, as it's known, and they became more Greek than the Greeks and uh, allowed for Antiochus Antiochus four epiphanies to take over the Beit HaMikdash and for... for the Greek soldiers uh, to take over the uh, Jewish life and to cause havoc within Judaism and within the Jewish nation. But thankfully, we outlived that and we were successful. We vanquished our enemies. That's the third of the four exiles. And now we come to the fourth of the four exiles. So we've already had one great exile and three of the four. And the fourth one is the one of Edom, which we identify as Rome. Edom is the Galut which we find ourselves in at the moment. It's the longest of all the Galuyot, it's the longest of all the exiles, and, it's, and in a sense it's undefinable, which is why Daniel, when he defines it, says there was a fourth beast, fearsome, dreadful, and very powerful, but he doesn't name the beast, because it's a shifting target. It, uh, there's a metamorphosis. An anti-Semite can be one thing one day in Galut Edom and it can change and be something else the next or the next year or the next era in a different place, different location. And we Jews have been suffering in this exile for some 2,000 years. Those are the Guliot, which are part of Jewish tradition as we understand it. Now let's look at the Alshech. The Alshech is a very interesting man. He was actually, he's known as the Alshich HaKadosh. He was born in 1508 in somewhere in the Ottoman Empire, which was the empire that was controlled out of Constantinople, today called Istanbul. It's the Turkish Empire in a sense. It was the dominant Middle Eastern power uh, for many, many years and in North Africa. Uh, and many, many Jews lived in the Ottoman Empire. And they were fairly well treated. They didn't have difficult lives. The Alshech was born in 1508, but he was part of the migration of a certain elite group, and I've spoken about them before in my lecture on the Arizal. I discussed this elite group of rabbis and scholars who made their home in Tzfat. He was one of them. The Alshech lived in Tzfat, where he was 
um, uh, he was a prominent rabbi and he wrote a biblical commentary, which we know as the Alshich. And he, when he moved to Tzfat, he was a student of none other than Rav Yosef Karo. Who was Rav Yosef Karo? He was the author of the Shulchan Aruch. And he was um, an extremely prominent personality in Tzfat during the early period of, of the Tzfat Jewish community. And he had um, a student called Rabbi Moshe Alshich. And Rabbi Alshich himself had students, one of whom was Rabbi Chaim Vital, who had another Rebbe called the Ari, the Arizal. And one Rebbe was the Arizal, another Rebbe was the Alshich. And the Alshich is intermingled with Kabbalistic ideas, um, very esoteric Jewish mystical ideas. And it can be tough going to learn through an Alshich. But here we have a pivotal, extremely important Alshech on this topic of Ra'av Ba'aretz, that there was a hunger in the land. Vayehi Ra'av Ba'aretz. So he says, and he begins, I'm going to read the Hebrew, it's on pages three and four of your source sheet if you print it off. Hinei ra'ui lasimlev. It is worthwhile to think about this, to reflect on it and to understand it. Ha'im acha kol after all the promises that he had been given, Avram Avinu had been given, that he's going to go to this country, Eretz Canaan, it's not named, but we know what it is. He's going to go there. And what's going to happen there? God is speaking to him. This is not just having a conversation in the pub. God is speaking to Avram. What did he tell him? He's giving him incredible haftachot. He's making incredible promises to him that you will be a source of blessing. Those who curse you will themselves find themselves cursed. You are going to become a great nation. That's an incredible promise from God. And Abraham Avinu had made God his, the center of his life. He was a person of great faith. If that's the case, if that's the case, when he reached Eretz Yisrael, Eretz Canaan at that time, and he saw that there was a famine, did he not think to himself, okay, it's not so nice at the moment, I'm not going to be, have, be able to have all my creature comforts, my favorite foods, but come on, God promised me, I've got every bracha that you could possibly imagine. And from the source of brachot, makor ha-brachot. And that being the case, why was he concerned that he would have left the country and gone to Egypt? Says the Alshech, immediately when he saw that there was a ra'av in the land, he fled and went to Egypt. Really? Let's, let's face it. He came to Eretz Canaan. Had the country emptied itself out completely of its inhabitants? No, not at all. There were people living there. If it's true to say that the people who were there, even if they were very hungry, could feed themselves, why would we think that Avram Avinu, why would he think to himself that he wouldn't be able to feed himself? Of course he could. You may have to pay top dollar for the food. He may go through a period of great challenge and difficulty. But he'd certainly be able to feed himself. So why would he abandon the country that God had sent him to? It makes no sense. Where is his faith that he believes in Hashem, that he believes in God? What's going on here? Avram Avinu, the foundational figure of faith, is displaying a complete lack of faith by abandoning the country that God had sent him to. Because there's a bit of a problem getting food from the local market. Come on. And as we saw in the Ramban, the Alshech quotes the Ramban, Nachmanides, he says, Ramban says, actually, that's a grave sin that he committed. And it was the cause of his descendants having to be exiled to Egypt. That's what the Ramban says. But this gives it a bit of context. How does that make any sense, says the Alshech? Because as we saw earlier in Rashi, that 
God tested Avram Avinu by coming to Canaan and he passed it by going to Egypt. So how can we have these two totally opposite views? One of the Ramban, which says he sins, which seems to make sense in the context of surely he had faith in God, having sent him to that country that he would be able to eat. And the view of Chazal, which say he was tested, but that when he got there, it was so tough and he didn't complain. He just went down to Egypt and came back when the time was right. So which is it? Was he successful? Or was he an utter failure? Chazal include this as one of the ten great trials of Abraham Avinu, of Abraham, our patriarch, saying that he passed it with flying colors. So which is it? Was he an utter failure? Or was he a total success? How are we to understand it? That's what the Alshech begins with. And he continues. I have another very big, grave, difficult question to answer. Let's think about what Avram Avinu did. Are we going to say that because Avram Avinu's life was in danger, that he would tell Sarah to misbehave, potentially? To be in a situation where she could be um, seduced. I'm putting this as gently and as diplomatically as I can. But what was he basically saying to Sarah? He was saying, don't say you're my wife, because then they're going to kill me. Say you're my sister. Well, what's going to happen then? You're going to come there and they're going to ask, who's this woman? Uh, my name is Sarah. Who's this man you're with? Oh, he's Avram. Who is he? Is he your husband? No, not my husband. He's my brother. What do you think they're going to do with Sarah at that stage? They're going to take her and seduce her, right? Does that make any sense that Avram Avinu would use his wife as a kind of bait in a situation where he needs to get food to feed himself? The Al-Sheikh is horrified, absolutely horrified by this implication. You know why? More than anything else, do you know that Sarah Imenu was greater in prophecy than Avram Avinu? We see this in various places in the narratives that we have about Sarah. She had a great understanding of God, even than Avram. She was greater than him. And yet, that he put her in a situation where it was, would be possible for her to be seduced by Gentiles and that she would be defiled? How is that possible to understand? You can't make it as an, as an excuse that Avram Avinu only kept the seven laws of Noah because that's one of them. Adultery is one of those laws and we know by the way and Al-Sheikh says it I haven't included the quote here but Al-Sheikh says that we know Avram Avinu even kept Eruv Tafshilin whatever that may mean. Avram Avinu was somebody who kept the whole Torah. And yet he would expose his wife to znut, that she could be an adulteress? How is that possible to understand? It's, it's the most terrible thing. It's, it, it, I can't think of anything worse that that's what he would have said to her. Say that you are my sister. Maybe they'll like me as a result of you. What? You are my bait so that people should like me and give me food and we should all eat and be okay? How does that make any sense? Who can hear such a thing and shouldn't beg for his ears to be saved from having heard such a terrible thing about Abraham Avinu, what he would do to his wife? Says the Alshech, perhaps this is also included among the sins that the Ramban is identifying as to something that Avram Avinu did wrong. In which case, how do we understand the fact that Chazal, the great sages of the Midrash and the Talmud, considered this to be a great test? And they actually heap him with praise. They heap Avram Avinu with praise for the way he behaved with Sarah Imenu in this situation. What is going on? How are we meant to understand that? Are we to suggest that it's okay to put your wife up as bait in a situation? We know that that's not the case at all. It's one of the three gravest sins of the Jewish faith. Yoharek va'al yavor. 
You're not allowed to desecrate, transgress this sin to the extent that you should allow yourself to be killed rather than put yourself in a situation of adultery. And yet Abraham Abinu seems to be suggesting that it's okay. How are we to understand that? Adraba, Let's think about it. Let's look at it from the perspective. He came to the land of Canaan and immediately there was a famine. And he needed to go to Egypt. But Abraham, what are you talking about? How did he even come up with this idea? Why didn't he think? Why didn't he just think to himself, well, if I'm going to have to put my wife in grave danger of adultery, maybe I should stay here and, you know, stick it out, see how it's going to go in Canaan, not put in that danger of adultery. Why didn't he think about it? Only when he got to Egypt, suddenly thought to himself, well, maybe it's not such a good idea. There might be adultery. They might be attracted to her and it's not appropriate. And therefore she should say my, she's my sister. Maybe they will be attracted to her, but at least I won't die. What's going on? He should have stayed in Canaan. That's the way he was sent, wasn't it? And why choose Mitzrayim if that's a place where adultery is a problem? Why go to the land of Egypt? Vihine, en safek ki Hashem choshev machshabot. And therefore, and he's going here in the theme of the Ramban, but he's going to go in a slightly different direction. He says there's no doubt whatsoever that God thinks ahead. And this is where the word vaccination creeps in. What is a vaccination? I know we're in the midst of great discussions and uh, we're reflecting on this whole idea of vaccination. There's people out there who are anti-vaxxers. And there's people who are pro-vaccination, people who are a little bit frightened of vaccination. Should I? Shouldn't I? What is a vaccination? A vaccination is a bottled sickness that can't do you harm. What does that mean? That you create the possibility of your body being able to tackle the sickness which could kill you by injecting some element of that sickness into your body, but that element of sickness that you are injecting can't do you the harm that the sickness can do you. Don't ask me about the science. I'll let you read that up on the internet. But the basics I, t I totally understand. We all have heard the word antibodies. How do you create antibodies? They can only be created either by the sickness itself, and you should be lucky enough to survive its worst ravages, or by injecting yourself or putting uh, a vaccine in your body that can create those antibodies without having damaged you in the way that the sickness can. That's the idea of a vaccination. Says the al Sheikh, and he's running with this ball that was already suggested by the Ramban, but he's taking it further as you're going to see. He says, do you know what was going on here with Avram Avinu? He was creating a long-term strategic vaccination program for the Jewish nation. That was his, whether he knew about it or didn't know about it, it's a little bit ambiguous in the al Sheikh as to whether he knew what he was doing or didn't know what he was doing. He certainly knew that he was doing the right thing by going ahead and going to Egypt. Why? Because there was a long-term game plan here, as we're going to see. God understands that there are long-term implications in everything that gets done and that we do. And sometimes we need to be vaccinated against the ill effects of something that's going to happen in our future. Why did God make a ra'av, a hunger, a famine in the land of Canaan? Because he knew that there would be a time when the Jewish nation would have to go into exile to Egypt. He knew this is where it differs from the Ramban. The Ramban wants to say that the only reason they went to Egypt was because of what Avram did. Here we're looking at it from a completely different angle. What the al Sheikh is saying is, no, God knew that they would be going to Egypt and therefore he created circumstances that would require Avram to descend to Egypt and via him going to Egypt, all the a dreadful ill effects of the Galut in Egypt for the Jewish nation would be mitigated because they had already um, benefited from the vaccination of Avram and Sarai's visit to Eretz Mitzrayim. Let's see the details. Let's flesh out the details of this idea. 
And he also knew, God knew, that there wouldn't just be Galut Mitzrayim, there's going to be Arba Guliot, there's going to be four exiles, as we described earlier. And he wants to, the prevention must come before the cure. We must vaccinate. You know what? Says the Alshich, the possibility for utter annihilation, assimilation, either way, is possible in any of the experience of the four Galiot and Shibud Mitzrayim. And therefore, Bein Begalut Mitzrayim, Bein Begalut Acherim, whether it's in the exile of Egypt or the four exiles that would follow through the course of Jewish history, the exile that we're in at the moment, utter annihilation and the disappearance of the Jewish nation is possible. We know, says the Alshich, that the Jewish nation was doomed. We know from a pasuk, I'm not going to go into the details here, we know from a pasuk in the Torah that the Jewish nation was doomed. Had they remained in Egypt, they would be gone. The story in the Bible wouldn't be about us, it would be about someone else. Because the Malachim, the angels, were in a debate with God as to whether or not they should, the Jewish nation should be redeemed or should not be redeemed in an exodus and redemption. So we know that our future, our destiny hung in the balance. Why? Because we were in Galut. If the Jewish nation would remain there just a little bit longer, there wouldn't have been any hope for them whatsoever. Because they would have been completely enveloped and overcome by the strength of the evil influence, the Tum'ah, the impurities of the land of Egypt. We know that the Jewish nation worshipped um, the idols of Egypt, even though they kept certain elements of Judaism, um, the Zohar talks about it. They were already idol worshippers. They had come, they'd gone all the way through every possible assimilation until they'd become idol worshippers or believers in the power of pagan gods. Perhaps they wouldn't have been worth saving at all. But Chazal tell us that they had four attributes in Egypt that differentiated them from the Egyptians to the extent that they were worthwhile saving. Do you know what the most important one was? Of all, that they guarded themselves against adultery, against sexual impropriety. <coughs> That's the most important of all of the four midot that they displayed during their period in exile. If it wouldn't have been for this, they would have been entirely lost. As a result of the fact that Sarah came to Egypt, and notwithstanding what you might understand in the story, says the Al-Sheikh, Sarah never contemplated and would never have gone ahead with any kind of adulterous behavior with Pharaoh or anyone else. Min ha'erva. She was not somebody who was ever going to be um, uh, drawn to an adulterous situation with another man. As a result of that, all the women of Egypt, of the Jews living in Egypt throughout the exile period of Shibud Mitzrayim, as a result, in the merit of Sarah's act of propriety, the fact that she behaved properly, that is why the women of the Jewish nation were able to defend themselves and protect themselves from misbehaving all those years later. And going to another story which we've spoken about many times in the past, Joseph in Egypt and Eshet Potiphar, the wife of his master who tried to entice him into a sexual dalliance as a result of the fact that he could withstand that advance that's why the men were able to protect themselves. All of this was the vaccination that preceded the illness to prevent the illness from ever occurring. The exile had to happen. That's the difference between the Al-Sheikh and the Ramban. The exile was going to happen no matter what. But this was the 
prevention before the cure, before the illness, in fact. The um, offering the Jewish nation the strength and the ability to withstand the, uh, the problems that they would encounter in this particular sphere. But Abraham, we're going to see, I'm not going to read through it all. You see various references. Abraham says, by it says by, um, by Abraham, that it was a famine. And similarly, you see by, the, by Israel, by Yaakov, there was a famine. That's why they went down. He repeats what the Ramban said earlier in a, in a little bit greater detail. Let me continue with the Al-Sheikh because it's so beautiful. But now, let's go into the crux of the matter. In order to give the Jewish nation hope and aspiration that they will get out of the exile without being entirely lost, that somehow there was an element of the difficulty that they would experience in this narrative of Abraham and Sarah. And as a result of the merit of Sarah, that she protected herself and defended herself and didn't fall into the trap of erva, of inappropriate sexual behavior, in the situation that she found herself in when she had to escape or get out of Canaan because of the famine, as a result of that, that's why the Jewish nation um, found salvation when they were going through similar difficulty. And that's why now we understand Rashi and Chazal. That God created this difficulty immediately when Avraham Avinu came. Why? To, in order that Avraham Avinu should be able to withstand that difficulty and thereby offer this level of protection for the Jewish nation, his descendants, when they would be in Egypt. And as to the four Galuyot, the four exiles, to give the Jewish nation hope that they will go out in peace from those difficult situations, that is why later on we're going to see that in the story of Abraham Avinu having the fight with the four nations, with the four kings, when they were they took over the five cities, Sodom, Amorah, etc. And there was five kings and four kings. The five kings lost. Avram Avinu went to battle with the four kings. He beat them all, each one of those four kings. Again, the Alshech goes into detail. You can look in the text on the fourth page of your source sheet. You'll see each of those kings is a representation of the four Goliot, with the final one being the Galut, which we find ourselves in at the moment, Galut Edom. We can also take it further by saying that in this situation that God wanted to begin to carry out his promise that I will make you into a great nation. Because these are, the, these are extremely relevant. This nation, about which it was said, and who is a greater nation? He was saying, this great nation that will accept the Torah, I will bring them out from you. We know that Galut Mitzrayim was a preparation, was the foundation stone, was the crucible out of which the Jewish nation was able to receive the Torah. It prepared them. In order for them to be called a great nation, they had to be put through this process of Galut Mitzrayim. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been able to receive the Torah. And the intent is that which enables the ultimate result which comes about. It's only when you intend to do something. Nothing happens by accident. There is no such thing. Everything has a path that leads up to it. The path that led up to Mitzrayim was the path of Abraham Avinu going to Egypt, which was, uh, which preempted, which preceded 
the Jewish nation's exile in Egypt, which was the required crucible out of which there would be Kabbalat HaTorah, out of which there would be Ma'amad Har Sinai. Hakavana el ha'poel haya al yedei radat Avram Yitzrayma. Avram going to Egypt was what that which enabled. Alkein samach vayhi ra'av ba'aret vayered. And that is why the whole concept of the ra'av ba'aret was not something that happened by accident. It, it was the enabler of Avram Avinu going down to Egypt that would prepare the way that would prepare the pathway for the Jewish nation to be in Egypt so that we could receive the Torah, that we could become the Jewish nation, that we could become the monotheistic people of faith. We could become the trailblazers, God's representatives and ambassadors on his created world. And that was all enabled as a result of Ayehi. Ra'av Ba'aretz. And we're going to leave it here for today. There's more in the Al-Sheikh if you want to look at the final two paragraphs. But in the meantime, I wish you well and thank you so much for watching and for listening.